Hey everyone, welcome to our chat. It's season one, episode four, Parenting. Now would be a good time to pause this podcast and go get a notebook. Trust me, you won't regret it. Hey, well, we're back for another podcast and today we're going to be talking about parenting. So Pastor Wayne, I understand you've put together some recent statistics on parenting. Yes, thank you. I'm glad to be with us, be with you today. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I came across a number of things that I thought were very interesting. They were quite relevant and they actually came from the CBS News and this is this year. So this is not like old statistics. This is just out and it's the 10 biggest worries about children's health. And so I dare say it's the listeners here you probably can relate to a number of these. So here's the 10 biggest worries. Number one, childhood obesity. I thought that was interesting, being number one. For the third year in a row, childhood obesity tops the list of the biggest health concerns for kids. Apparently, 17% of children and adolescents aged 2 to 19 are obese. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Obesity puts kids at greater risk of serious illness, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, several types of cancer, bone joint problems, sleep apnea, mental health issues such as depression, childhood obesity. So would you have guessed that to be the top one, Pastor Chris? No, definitely not the top one. But would, I guess what would you guess as the biggest concern? Yeah, I would think social anxiety. Okay. Yeah, but I guess the childhood obesity probably comes out as a result of kids being on devices more often, and they're not really right. getting enough activity or movement in their days. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I mean, can't we just imagine how this has probably even gotten worse in the last six, seven months with yeah. the whole pandemic, right? <laughs> right. Because stay at home, don't hang out with your kids, don't play sports, yeah. right? So number wow. two <laughs> was bullying. And for the second biggest, the second biggest concern for the second year in a row is bullying. According to the National Education Association, about 16,000 students stay home from school each day because of bullying. Wow. Research has associated bullying with a greater risk of psychological problems, including depression, anxiety disorder, and suicidal thoughts later in life. Number three, drug abuse. Third biggest worry. This is the second year in a row, and it rounds off the top uh, three biggest health worries. It includes alcohol, uh, cigarettes, prescription pain relievers, inhalants, synthetic drugs, and marijuana. Now, we have to believe that with the whole opening up of the whole cannabis industry, Mm -hmm. that that has become probably more accessible to kids because Mm -hmm. uh, it's more accessible to adults. Right. So, number four, biggest health worries, internet safety. It rose from 8th place in 2014 survey to 4th place. Uh, And uh, this is a reflection, experts say, of the expanding use of technologies, including smartphones, which can potentially expose children and teens to dangers like predators and cyberbullying. Number five, child abuse and neglect. The overall survey found child abuse and neglect was number five on the list of worries about children's health. But there were some differences across the ratio groups. And of course, this is relevant to us because uh, those who are non-Caucasian 
those stats go up significantly. Hmm. Number six, sexting. Now, when I grew up, sexting wasn't even a word. <laughs> but sexting is the practice of sending or receiving sexually suggestive text messages and photos. The 2014 survey found that middle schoolers who sexed were more likely to engage in risky behavior, including intercourse, than those who do not. The practice has also been linked to teens around the country suffering from low self-esteem, suicides after photos were shared were shared with parent with their peers and their friends um, and so all kinds of psychological stuff rolling out hmm. number seven biggest worry was smoking and tobacco uh, and the national institute on drug abuse warns that e-cigarettes which were measured for the first time in 2014 are increasingly popular among teens and Again, studies are still out regarding the side effects, but the cautions are just as big, if not bigger, than just, uh, again, normal cigarettes with filters on. Mm-hmm. Number eight, biggest threat was school violence. And this includes, I mean, often we think of knifing and pushing, or knifing and shooting, but this includes pushing, shoving, assault with or without weapons. Um, deaths associated with school violence are rare, but many young people experience injuries Cuts, bruises, broken bones, head traumas. School violence, number eight. Number nine was teen pregnancy. Pregnancy and childbirth are significant contributing factors to high school dropout rates among girls. The children of teenage mothers more likely to perform worse in school and have more health problems, be incarcerated as an adolescent, give birth as a teenager, and face unemployment as a young adult. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty severe. <laughs> And number 10, stress. Uh, The survey from 2014 suggests teens are more stressed than adults. Hmm. Stress can lead to a number of health problems, includes trouble sleeping, disruption of eating habits, and difficulty concentrating at school. So I don't know. When I look at those stats, we really, I think that uh, as Christians, we have to really, as parents... And as Christian educators, uh, take very seriously our role and our place in our kids' lives because uh, these are very serious threats. And a lot of these threats, I can't say. I mean, I would say the significant number of those threats I did not have access to as a child. Right. I mean, yeah. you, you have the whole internet thing, um, even uh, the, the sexting and... Uh, even some of the stresses that mm-hmm. kids are under were just not available to uh, stress me out as a, as a child. So, yeah, the times have changed. Mm-hmm. And this is a very interesting age that I think really the church has to step into. Yeah. And I think some of these things that definitely would cause kids to either step away from what they know, or what they believe, what they grew up in, um, their foundation. So what would you say are the reasons or how do problems start when it comes to our children um, choosing to believe differently. Yeah. You know, I've there's been a number of things. Uh, it started a number of years ago when I began to take courses uh, towards counseling parents with troubled children and came across a number of things, a number of um, reoccurring issues regarding 
children who seemed to be really struggling. And and so some of them were, I, number one was preoccupation. When parents pre, are preoccupied with your own life and we, our kids kind of take second place. Uh, it's so easy with the demands of work, our time commitments to work, that we can begin to uh, oversee or not oversee what's happening in our kids. So our kids are going to their rooms, mm-hmm. come home from school. They may be latchkey kids. And so they let themselves in because we're not home from work until maybe an hour or two after the children are home. Maybe the kids don't go to work or don't go to school until long after we're gone. And so they're letting themselves out, could be letting themselves back in and often going to their computers or to something or just communicating with some friends maybe. And we can lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. Their number one influence is not us. Their number one influence is being someone else. Uh, so preoccupation. Uh, this, another thing was refusing to face the severity of when we begin to recognize our child's lifestyle is going in a different direction. Uh, Proverbs nineteen eighteen says uh, to discipline your children in the early years while there is still hope or else you will ruin their lives. And so uh, it's not something that you can wait. Once you begin to see this, I think that we need to recognize, wow, something's going on. Either they're becoming depressed, they're pulling away, uh, their language is changing, their attitudes are starting to change. And to ignore that uh, is going to spell some very serious trouble Mm -hmm. if we don't recognize that and refuse to step into it. Uh, Another one is failure to heed the warnings of caring others. And this often happens when a teacher talks to us. Uh, I've heard of parents who've been at school and they are going for uh, teacher-parent interviews and they hear of other parents railing out teachers saying, how dare you talk to me about my child? That's your responsibility. And you have to wonder that, wow, they're not listening. The teacher is seeing some signals and they're trying to let you know we're observing some trends right. and parents maybe aren't picking up on that. Yeah. Um, I even think of uh, Sunday school teachers here at the church. And so I think the best thing that can take place is to have this open communication, parents leaning into what are folks saying? What are teachers, educators saying? And I'm going to put another one in there too. I'm going to suggest even grandparents. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we tell our moms and dads as parents, we tell the grandparents of our kids, you know, but a but sometimes they have an amazing, and I know this was true with uh, my own mother and father when our kids were quite young. They have a perspective we don't have. Uh, and they would say to my wife and I, they would say, um, you know, we're just noticing this. And it can be easy for us to quickly defend our children mm-hmm. instead of um, maybe listening. Mm-hmm. They've kind of been through it. And whether we think their methods are right or wrong, they have a real keen tendency to pick up on things we tend not to. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is excusing the wrong. And we become a part of the problem when we excuse the wrong. Uh, and we just, well, you know, here's the reason. They're just under a lot of pressure. Our marriage, you know, there was a breakup in the marriage. Maybe you just went through divorce. Mm-hmm. And it's easy just to pass it off. Uh, but I think that might be a mistake. Yeah, no, I agree. Um I remember you did a few, I think it was a few years ago, you did some, you did a lesson, a sermon on building kingdom kids. And one of the things that you said was whoever has your child's heart, mm. um, 
has oh my goodness I can't remember now they have the child right they have right. the child have the so child. whoever has your child sorry yeah. so um, what are some other things you think like building on that that kids that parents can do to reach their kids and to maybe change the heart that has been turned away yeah uh, Proverbs 22 is I verse 6 is one of my absolute favorite verses and it says train up a child in the way he should go even when they are old, they will not depart from it. And sometimes we think that that means that if we do the right things in the home, they'll never, they'll never turn away. But it actually doesn't say that. It has so many little nuggets in there. And this really comes down to the whole issue of we need to point our kids in the right direction. So when it says train up a child in the way they should go, the word train up um, means that and, and the way they should go. And I, I only have... Two kids, my daughter and my son, and they are so different from each other. <laughs> so my daughter is strong-willed, and she is stubborn, and she would fight us on everything. So we had to address her differently than our son because he was very compliant growing up. If we were as harsh on him as we were on her, trying to get her to do something or to change her direction... It would have crushed them. Yeah. So we had to really be students of our kids. Uh, what is their strong will? What is their bent? And training up is an interesting word. And I've, I've looked this uh, over a number of times. Train up actually is a Hebrew word. It indicates the palate of your mouth. So it's used in two different references in Scripture. One reference has to do with when you train a wild horse, you put a bit in their mouth. And... A wild horse will fight that bit in their mouth, but a horse that is well-trained, you can just slightly tug to one side and they recognize it in their mouth and their mouth is sensitive. They will move to the right, they will move to the left, or they will stop or they will go forward. But the other meaning is a Hebrew picture of a midwife. And it was a picture when a baby first is born. What the wife will do in order to get the child ready for uh, taking the mother's milk was they, they would take often like grapes, something really sour, and they would dip their fingers in the grapes, and then they would rub their fingers along the palate of the child's mouth. And almost without exception, the child would like, you know, their face would all scrunch up and that, you know, that was so sour. But they would start sucking because they're trying to get rid of that. Right. But as soon as they start sucking, it actually has developed a um, tendency towards the mother. Yeah, and then they would give the child to the mother and the child would start sucking and start receiving the milk. Right. So they actually trained the palate to receive from the mother. And I was thinking, training up a child in the way they should go, the way they should go, only God knows that. Yeah. So when we become active in pointing our children in the right, and we have to, they will not naturally do it. None of us naturally want to serve God. We will naturally go the way of the flesh. Right. So parents have to be very uh, intentional in stimulating the palate of our children so that they would begin to suck towards the things of the Lord they begin to recognize the things of the flesh are actually going to bring heartache, pain, and destruction. But the things of the Lord will bring life and liberty and wholeness. And so we have to, as parents, kind of in, in the spiritual sense, create a sucking sensation mm. towards the things of God. And, and we have to be very creative on how we do that. But that's the picture of training up a child in the way they should go. Um, another thing is um, uh, Proverbs 13 uh, 24 talks about uh, disciplining of our children. And disciplining of our children 
It's important not to base how we discipline or don't discipline on extremes. I've heard people say, I won't do that. You know, I just have these nice little chats. I want to be my child's friend. Mm -hmm. Your child, let me argue that a little bit. There comes a point where you will be. There comes a point when your child or your children are adults. And I can speak from experience. You move from the place of being the chief influencer to more of a coach in their life. More of a friend. But when they are young, they don't need just another friend. Right. They really need a parent. They need somebody who will step in and at times be very emphatic about what they're doing. Because if you have a strong-willed child, they will fight you tooth and nail yeah. uh, for what's going on. And sometimes just conversations just aren't good enough. And so, yeah, you've heard of people beating children. You've heard of people responding to those in anger. But don't make that the norm. I came across the distinctions between abuse and discipline. And I thought this was interesting. Maybe I'll put this out here. So abuse, abuse is unfair and unexpected. The child doesn't realize why it happened. But discipline is fair and expected. I discovered that in my kids, if I didn't discipline, then they would go, what's wrong? Because they knew they needed to be disciplined. They knew they needed to be chastened in some area. But when it becomes unfair uh, because they spilt their milk or because, you know, they forgot something, that's unfair mm -hmm. to have strong discipline. But when they have intentionally and willfully done those things, habitually continue to do those, even though they know better, then they expect it. So abuse is degrading and demoralizing. It makes them feel cheap. Discipline will always uphold their dignity. Right. They are child of God. Abuse tends to be extreme. It tends to be harsh. It can leave scars. Abuse results often in resentment and hatred towards you. When you see them starting to hate you, begin to wonder, what's going on here? Have we maybe stepped over a line? Uh, where, on the other hand, discipline has balance and limits. You refuse to go past certain balances. And although it might be painful, uh, it, it's not going to scar. And it's prompted by love. It's not a part of anger. It does not simply knee-jerk react. But it is a, a loving response to a situation that you have to step into. Lori and I would often do this. If we were angry about something, we would not discipline right away. Mm -hmm. We would wait until we were totally in control and then out of a posture of love and care for our child, we would step in and discipline whatever that discipline we felt was necessary. Abuse creates terror and it will create a resentment towards you. Abuse will destroy their self-esteem and will damage their ability to cope. Discipline, on the other hand, leads to a healthy respect of authority. They realize these people actually do know more than I do. Yeah. And it will actually strengthen their self. They will know who they are. Children who are not well-disciplined struggle with their identity. Because when they are pushing all the boundaries and stepping over the boundaries, they are looking for someone to give them some fences to live in. Yeah. And discipline is putting those fences in. And once those fences are there, you, you are secure in who you are. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. And there's a strength of your personality. So... Uh, there's another one. There's a distinction between crushing the spirit and shaping the will. 
And and Lori and I, this came from actually James Dobson, the late James Dobson years ago. He actually wrote a book about the strong-willed child. And we grabbed a hold of that when our daughter was born. Uh, because we recognize there's a fine line. You don't want to crush their spirit, but you want to shape their will. Right. You do need to shape uh, their will because their will is defiant. And so you want to break that. You want to break that. But don't break their spirit. Their spirit is precious. A strong-willed child will often, if they are curbed in the right direction, will become a great leader, a strong leader, an influential leader. You don't want to break that. I think there's a distinction between to understand normal childishness and willful defiance. Uh, every child will have childishness. childishness. And we need to allow them space to discover that, to make mistakes, um, to, to make boo-boos. But defiance is when you are putting structure in their life and they adamantly resist that structure. Then they've crossed from making normal childish mistakes, which will happen, to a place of defiance. So, um, yeah, I think it's... Um, to recognize those two. Yeah. So don't put everybody in the same right. basic category. There is a strong will that is rebellious. We have to step into that. And don't wait too long. Um, some statistics say a child's character is formed before they go to school. So by by the time of age four or age five, a lot of their character is already developed. Yeah. And then also recognize that a child's worldview according to George Barna, is established by the time they reach the age of 13. By the age of 13, 90% of children have already formed their worldview. That means what they believe and what they don't believe. Right. And if they do not have a biblical worldview that is strongly presented through parenting and stepping into their life on a regular basis, by the age of 13, if you let the educators do it, if you let media do it, if you let the friends do it, then they will probably have developed an unbiblical worldview by the age of 13. And uh, according to stats, and again, we just we know God is miraculous mm -hmm. and he can bypass the stats, but the stats say you'll only have a 10% chance of changing their worldview. Wow. Wow. So you really have to step into it when they're young and pliable. Yeah, and I think, you know, everything you've said about creating the structure, that's not just a spiritual belief right like you hear right. psychologists saying that kids crave that structure so we talked about 13 by 13 kids um a child has developed their own worldview so let's move to the teen years the years where they're starting to crave that independence and starting to create that separation a bit from their parents, which is healthy, right? Um, have, you, have you experienced something like this? Patrick? I have. Well, I, I was saying that my um, my favorite book, it's uh, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. And it was all about how do you prepare your child for their independent living. And mm. honestly, that book was, I think that's like maybe third under the Bible. <laughs> but it's like every time I go back, I'm like, how do you do this? But they were talking about, you know, just giving kids freedom at 
certain ages where they were able to make their own decisions within the safety. Um, They started as young as 13. But I think, as you said, um, that age can vary based on your child as well, right? Which you need to be students of, uh, of your child in order to come up with that age. But tell us some of what you've seen is the basic struggles that teens would experience in those years. Well, um, there's, I came across, uh, I put down four that I, I think are huge. One of the big things, teens are trying to figure out who am I? Uh, so we kind of moved out of the young children. Mm-hmm. Young children are looking at their boundaries. I kind of find it interesting. You ever noticed a, um, a toddler and you're maybe at a concert or it could be a church setting too. And it's new. Everything's new. And your toddler is very active and wants to take off. And often they will take off and they'll run maybe five or, you know, 10 steps away from you and they'll stop. They and they look back <laughs> and they're looking at your reaction. Yeah. Is this good? Is this bad? Right. Based on your reaction, hmm. they will go you know, 20 steps now and then they stop because they're try- they're testing the boundaries to see where your boundaries are. So as a child, that's important for parents to understand the boundaries of children. Uh, parents who keep talking but never have any action, the children don't have solid boundaries. You've, you've maybe and maybe some of us have been parents who you know stop stop that. And now there's educators who say we should never say anything negative to children. You know? yeah, so that. I don't know how you say no or stop and not be negative because we know children will tell us you know no. They yeah. learn the word no really fast. <laughs> But when children start to push the boundaries, uh, it's important that whatever we say, whatever boundaries we make, we really do have to follow through on those boundaries. And if we say no, but no is really not no, Mm -hmm. our children are totally into that. Um, In other words, you say, um, uh, don't run out on the road. And well, that means you probably shouldn't, but they want to anyway. So they run out on the road. Well, if you run out on the road, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, uh, you know, make you sit in the corner. I'm going to have a time. We're going to have a timeout. The child knows, well, that probably won't happen. So they run out on the road. And then I've heard, I've heard this and it's kind of interesting. I've heard this in grocery lines, actually. Parents say, stop that. After they've said it, they raise their voice. And the child knows, well, no, mom's, they're not, they're not serious yet because they haven't hit that boundary level. Mm-hmm. And sometimes parents are screaming. You can hear them like aisles over. And they're yelling at their children, stop it. If you don't stop it, you're going to be in trouble. You get home, you're going to be in trouble. The child still knows. Again, they're more students of us than us them because they've had more time to study us. (laughs) And they've tested the grounds and they have acute awareness of where our limits are. And so um, I remember, like Lori and I, we had, and this happens to different ones but particularly with our children particularly with our firstborn we had a a one two three policy we didn't have a five we didn't have a 10 we didn't have a 50 it was after you've asked them to do something they paid no attention and then you let them know no i'm serious about this and they're paying no attention we would often we wouldn't raise our voice we would keep our voice the same because if you train them on a raised voice then they will take you to the next level Hmm. so we didn't bother raising our voice uh, we would say one, two, and they would be in full flight by the time we hit two because three is too late. Right. If we did one, two, three, and there was no repercussions when we hit three, then guess what? One, two, three doesn't matter from here on. And then you keep going. You're like two and a half. Then Yeah, two and a half, two, <laughs> two and three and quarters. 
And the kid, you see, if they they know wherever that limit is, then that's the point that they'll step back. So don't have a very long limit on that. So that is the young toddler, young children. Now when they get into more the teenage period of their life, they're more asking the question of who am I? And they are growing to be independent. And you want them independent. Mm -hmm. You want them to learn for themselves. But they're not ready yet. Their minds are not ready yet. And that's why I am totally for we need to have censorship on what we see, what we hear. I'm all for that because they cannot process stuff. Mm -hmm. Their minds have not developed to process, I shouldn't be listening to this. Because they're in the curious stage. They're in the stage of, who am I? And while they're trying to figure out the who am I's in life, they're they're all over the place. They will they will go into crazy, volatile, dangerous places because they don't know who they are yet. Now, as adults, now the adults still may be pretty immature, but we should know better. I'm not going to watch that. For instance, if you're on a diet and you're watching television, <laughs> and an advertisement comes on for food. Wouldn't we be smart to not watch that advertisement? But a child may not know that. Their maturity is still developing. And so it would they don't know the limits. And so they're struggling with who am I? And, and we see that they're seeking to find identity. Now, here's the trick. If they can't find their strong identity through mom and dad and our influence, they will find identity through a friend or a group. Yep. Now, we have this explosion of kids forming gangs. They're joining gangs. And what happens in a gang is a gang is offering group identity. And so a child is drawn to a group identity because in that identity, the people they're hanging with, they feel like they're something. So therefore they become uh, very uh, loyal to the gang and not loyal to the mom and dad. And they pull away from mom and dad. So the big question, number one question, of, this is teens in pre-adulthood is who am I? Uh, they're trying to make choices and they're trying to figure out who do I hang together? The su- second one out of four is they're asking whose attitudes will I choose? What are the attitudes? And that question has to do with responsibilities. Uh, what, do, what do I own and how will I respond to things? Often he, you begin to pick up sarcasm, you begin to pick up defiance, you begin to pick up compliance, or you begin to pick up humility. Uh, this isn't the attitude. I'm gonna, they're choosing an attitude. Here's one of the key things, mom and dad, watch who they're watching. Take a hard look at their heroes mm-hmm. because they will begin to mimic their heroes' mm-hmm. attitudes. So here's the problem. When you watch a television program or you're watching something on YouTube and you hear laughter in the background, it's comedy, that sarcasm in real life is not funny. Real people aren't laughing in real life, but what happens is if a child is seeking to figure their attitude and they think if I can be a clown or if I can be mean or sarcastic or hurtful or a bit of a bully and others will respect me for it, then they begin to pick up that attitude. Mm -hmm. The other thing, sometimes we don't like the friends our kids hang with and so we start complaining. You know, you you know, you shouldn't hang out with, you know, Curtis, you know, Curtis, bad influence for you, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing, this is, I learned this from a, a psychologist who said, take a hard look at the closest friends your children have. 
because in their heart, that's how they see themselves. Hmm. So when you, before you quickly dismiss that rebellious friend, hmm. maybe there's that, they have a heart that feels the same way. Right. That's why they're drawn to it. Yeah. Um, the third one here is that what they're picking up is kids are asking, whose rules will I respect? And this is where they're dealing with authority. Um, who am I going to answer to? Who has the yes in my heart? And we talked about this earlier. Um, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Yeah. And if we don't capture as mom and dad our children's hearts, someone will and someone does. And whoever captures their heart is where they gravitate to. So we want to capture their heart. We have to do it early. Now, I know those listening, some of you, your children are already teenagers. Mm -hmm. Some of your children have already left the home. Uh, you're saying, well, it's too late. I can't do something. But I, I do not believe that. I believe that as long as you are here, we can still begin to, it's going to have to take a different approach, but we can still capture the heart of our children. But it really does come down to whose heart, who are they giving their hearts to? Right. And because their heart is being given to someone, um, who's getting it? So whose rules will I respect? And the other one here is which lifestyle will I adopt? And this has to do with conformity. And one of the best illustrations is going to the book of Daniel and looking at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm -hmm. Because these young guys were teenagers, but you could actually follow all. They discovered their identity, that they were Hebrew children, which was number one, who am I? Number two, whose attitude will I choose? They chose to be respond, responding to God, Jehovah God. Whose rules will I respect? Their authority is Yahweh, God. And therefore, when they were removed from their home, put into a hostile environment, the question, which lifestyle will I adopt? Well, they refused to conform. Mm -hmm. They were transformed. And so they prepared, they made up their mind that they would stand alone if they had to. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they exercised a strong will that I am God's. He is my Lord. Can you ask me to bow down to you? No, I won't. Why? Because I am God's, my identity. And only to him will I bow down. And I will follow him and him alone. Therefore, if society around me changes, I will not succumb to that. I will succumb to only my God. And so therefore, everybody bows down to Nebuchadnezzar. I don't bow down to him. I've already formed my identity I know the attitude I will. Yeah. My attitude is submission to one true God. I respect him and him alone. He's my authority. If the king asked, and there was times where there was a conflict where they were challenged, they always spoke respectfully to the king. They spoke respectfully to the authorities. But their highest authority was always God. And therefore, the lifestyle they adopted was one of, they were a follower of one God. And uh, so they would be prepared to stand alone. Wow, that's great. Um, I saw this this morning, so I'm going to spring it on you because I think we're going to sort of close with how do we pray for our kids? How do we pray for our kids that, you know, are still 
serving God and even those and those that aren't right so I read this this morning um it was a post by Jenny Allen she is the leader of if gathering in Texas so it says don't pray your kids out of trouble they will get into trouble pray they get caught and then let them feel all the trouble (laughs) and so I read that and I'm like you know because in the morning your prayers are God I pray that you would cover my kids like keep them safe But then as I began to think about it, it's like, well, no, it's in the moments of trouble that they find God themselves, right? Because if we keep being the helicopter parent and creating those safe situations, when they do need God, they're not going to go to him because they're going to go to something else. So talk a bit about your thoughts on that and then let us know how we can pray for our kids. Well, I'm glad you said it because I was going to say about helicopter parents, you know, the (laughs) womp, 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 when they come in and they always, they always step in here here's the key if cons if behavior does not have consequence then you'll continue in the behavior yeah and yeah. so negative behavior has to have negative consequences and a helicopter parents if we're not careful we stop them from having negative consequences and so therefore there comes a point in time where a child wants to touch the hot stove and we say no don't do it it's going to hurt. Ow. And we may even mimic what that hurt might look like. So the child has an emotional reaction to, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Hopefully all that works. Hopefully we put a barrier in front of that stove so that the child has to maliciously ignore us, step over the barrier and touch the stove. But that stove really looks nice to touch. Okay. <laughs> there comes a point where it might be okay I don't think we want to push our child and set them in front of the stove and say, please touch the stove. But there comes a point after they continue to resist all the barrier, don't be the helicopter parent because that little lesson of touching the stove and after they touch it and they have a little out, the burn on their hand, that will likely heal considering they don't hug the stove. That will likely heal. And that moment of tears and putting some salve on that, their scar for a period of time, you have just won a major battle. Number one, mom and dad actually knew what they were talking about when they said no. That's huge because up till now, they honestly didn't believe you. They honestly now look at the barriers that you put in place and they respect you that you tried to help them. And when they touched the stove, you were there to help them walk through it. And those are all wins. And if you stop them from those consequences, then when it comes, when you say you need to hold your sexual your sexual exploration to the person you will marry don't give your body to that young man you talk to your daughter don't give your body to that young man he's going to tell you if you love me you will do this no you don't need to do that now if you haven't won the battle in front of the stove if you haven't won the battle over food if you haven't won the battle in the grocery line if you haven't won those battles and you haven't allowed the consequences after you put up the barriers them to experience the consequences then they're not going to believe you when it comes to that young man. They're not going to believe you when it comes to that young woman. And they're going to then say, uh, you know, I'm going to do it because I know better than them. But if we if we allow them the consequences throughout their growing up years, then they know that they know that you know what you're talking about. You've got experience. There's There's barriers in place and those barriers are there for your protection. And they're not there for your demise. They're there for your protection. Don't go over the barriers. And so they won't live their life seeing how close they can get to the stove. They'll live their life recognizing barriers are positive. Live within the barriers. 
and barriers are good. And we know that as mom and dad, but we probably had to experience the, dif- the difficult way as well. And we're trying to help them. So a helicopter parent will, will jump in between the behavior and the consequence and try to save them of their consequence. And that always is not for their benefit because you're actually, it's better for them to learn the, the little painful stove lessons yeah. than the painful pregnancy lessons. The painful, um, in, in the painful lessons of uh, in a career that you shouldn't have, or going a lifestyle or doing something or partaking or becoming addicted to something that you had all the warning signals, but you just resist it because, well, somebody constantly got in the way of the consequences. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, okay. So how, there's a few things. I think there's some prerequisites okay. before we know how to pray for our children. Uh, number one. Uh, prayer won't really matter if you don't restore strained relationships. Uh, broken and strained relationships will hinder your prayer for your children. So if you are praying for them, but you refuse to get forgiveness, if there's a shut off flow of love, then it's going to cancel out your prayers. And that's actually biblical. First Peter 3, 7 talks about um, husbands. If, if you do not do this, then your prayers actually won't get answered. So our prayers actually won't be answered for our children if we do not seek actively to restore broken relationship with our children and to get back to the place of just, sometimes it's just saying, would you forgive me? And you might say, well, listen, I've not done anything wrong. Sometimes our forgiveness has to do with not what we did, but with our attitude towards them after what they did. Mm -hmm. And we just reaffirm our love for our children. And sometimes we have to say, sorry, I just needed to listen better. I just needed to be there more. Sorry, because um, my heart was pulled away and out of hurt I said this did this and so we asked for forgiveness um, I think another uh, thing about positioning ourselves is just what I mentioned reassure them that you love them and that you accept them and we've always made a distinction between acceptance and approval you should always accept your children doesn't mean you have to endorse what they're doing but you love them and your love is unconditional uh, and we know that we can do that because that's how God loves us. Mm-hmm. He didn't love us when we were good. He loved us while we were still sinners. Right. The other thing is reaffirm their worth. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone. And so no matter what they're doing, reaffirm that they are absolutely value, valuable and made in the image of God. And just look for ways to compliment and appreciate them and appraise them. Call attention to admirable traits in them and sometimes we really have to work hard to find it because when we're ticked off we see all the bad but look hard for the good and then mention the good talk about the good and the other thing is relearn the art of listening and we're going to talk about that this coming sunday at church actually the art of listening is so so important um learn to listen and concentrate on what they're saying instead of what you were trying to say um, and without passing judgment. So, okay. I, I, this, I've had this for a long time and this was put together, uh, over a number of, um, studies that I had conducted years ago, seven helps in praying for lost children. So I'm going to seven, 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 here they are. Um, this, this is children. They could be at any age. Usually it's when your children are maybe older teenagers or adults. Number one, and uh, I've been there and done it, so I've, I've prayed these. Number one, claim your loved ones for God. Um, begin to claim what the blood of Christ has already secured. 
Don't believe Satan's lie that they are forever lost. Don't believe that. That's a lie. Pray that their thoughts will be brought into the captivity of Christ. That's a godly prayer. That's a biblical prayer. So claim your loved ones for God. That doesn't mean they are, but claim them. You will stand and contend on their behalf. I've often said, when you're, at, when you're in the presence of your lost children, wandering children, um, be kind, compassionate, loving, embracing. But when you get out of the presence of your children, go into the war room and shake the gates of heaven. <laughs> but don't do that in the presence of your children. And your children, love them, care for them. Let them see the love and compassion of Christ. But when you step away, turn into that vicious warrior yeah. that stands before you know hell's gates and says, I will not relent my children to hell. And, uh, and recognize the difference between those two. Don't be hostile to your children. Don't take that stance to your children because you'll turn them off. The enemy will actually use that against you. But when you are in the presence of angels, that's when you do that. So claim your loved ones. Number two, pray the hedge around them. Now, I know every Christian comedian has made fun of the hedge around, you know, praying the hedge. What does that hedge look like? And I find that somewhat unfortunate because I think that's caused us to pull back praying the hedge. But the hedge is actually a biblical principle found in Hosea chapter 2, verse 6. It says, therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. That's praying the hedge. Yeah. Job, when he prayed for his growing children in Job 1.5, he actually prayed regarding a hedge that they would be protected in the midst of their sacrifices. And I think we need to do the same. Pray God will hedge them in so they will become confused in their sin. They will become confused in their sin. And pray that he will keep them from evil companion and evil influences. And it's amazing that all of a sudden they might have intent of heart, but when they begin to try to live out that intent, they get confused and it just falls apart. So they intend to go to a bar. They have intent to go into a relationship. And all of a sudden it just, they don't really want to and they don't know why, but they just don't. And what's happening is there's a prayer warrior praying a hedge around them. And, uh, and so do that. Thirdly, pray in the spirit. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you can pray in the spirit, pray in the spirit. The enemy can't get a hold of you. When you pray in the understanding, he can take the words and use them. But when you pray in the spirit, uh, you, you, your spirit is praying. Your mind is not productive, but your spirit is praying. And, and I've come to appreciate my spirit knows better how to pray than my mind does many times. And so I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in the understanding. But when there's a burden and there's an urgency, yeah. pray in the spirit. Fourthly, pray in partnership with someone. Galatians 6, 2 says we are to carry each other's burdens. And this is the power of agreement. So don't be afraid to have somebody come into agreement. It's okay to have somebody say, listen, would you pray with me regarding my son, regarding my daughter? And let them agree together and come together. A prayer partner can help keep you from becoming discouraged. When you pray by yourself all the time, it's so easy for the enemy to discourage you. But when you have a prayer partner... The partner will come back at times when you most need it and say, by the way, I was praying for your son. By the way, I was praying for your daughter today. And it just lifts up your spirit that you're not alone carrying your son or your daughter. Number five, pray with fasting. And the reason that is important because Satan is stubborn and he will not yield them if he does not have to. And so fasting adds 
a compellingness to your prayer that you will not relent. You will not pull back. Number six, pray persistently. Uh, you're going to be tempted to give up. You're going to be, as you begin to pray, here's often what happens. Things get worse. And when things get worse, you're thinking, hey, it's not working. Maybe I need to back away. But might I suggest, don't ever cut a deal with the devil. He never pulls back because you pull back. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that if you stop praying, if you stop pressing in, that he'll stop all that. But he never cut a deal with him because he always breaks the deal. So pray persistently and be like, uh, you know, the, the persistent woman in the parable of Luke 18 who just would not give up. Discouragement is one of Satan's most effective weapons. Stay at it. And uh, number seven, which is really a big one, release your loved ones to God's love. Uh, only the Holy Spirit can convict them. You're not the be-all that ends all. You cannot change their mind. Uh, I heard somebody say this, that many times we will, many times we will equip and teach our children but frequently it will be someone else who will evangelize them. Wow. So while I'm praying for my children, I'm praying God put into their life a godly man, a godly woman, bring back to their remembrance a scripture, bring back a song. May they, we're flipping through the internet, they come to a YouTube site. May you bring somebody who sits at the desk across from them. God, may there be somebody who goes to the stadium in front of them who will say something to them. Lord, may they get a letter. May they, whatever it is, there could be, when they go to the hospital, let there be a godly nurse, a godly doctor. There's so many ways God will answer that prayer. And so recognize, God, it might be me, but most of the time, God's going to use someone else. Now, here's the cool thing, that while we're praying that, position your heart to also say, God, help me to be that person yeah. to evangelize someone else's child. Mm -hmm. So while I'm praying for my son, I'm praying for my daughter, yeah, I'm, I'm praying for people to be in their life. And God will do it. He answers those prayers. But as I'm praying that, I think God also wants us to be aware that he is placing someone's son and someone's daughter into my life. So as I live my day, yeah. may I be very aware that there's someone cross-sectoring my path. It might be somebody on the bus. It might be somebody who, it just seems like an innocent conversation. It might be the neighbor next door. But there's somebody that he is calling me to be the answer of another parent's prayer. Mm -hmm. And so their son or daughter's in my path. So always be on the alert to be a witness for Christ. Mm -hmm. And just let your light shine and just speak of God's goodness and talk of his plans and, and maybe be a blessing to them that they will be drawn to you and wonder, why are you like that? And then you'll say something. And in their mind, they're going, that was just like my mom and dad. They were saying that. And what happened is God is using you and this very thing that you're releasing someone to God's love. Someone else is going to be placed into their life that is going to care for them on an extension of you and that's God doing it and so this is really what what this is doing have express your willingness to give your son to give your daughter over to someone else to evangelize them and you continue to pray I really like that I yeah I think this was really good I think it was helpful I really think 
if we see ourselves as our kids being loaned to us. Yeah. And we want to, you know, it's like when someone lends us their car and you want to give it back in like the best possible state. And so I think if that's the way we look at parenting, like these kids are on loan to us and we just want to do the best job with what we have yeah. for the time we have it's them true. so that we can give them back and, you know, we would have done our best. Yeah. So, well, thank you for sharing with us. This was so good. I think the end of this sets us up greatly for how do we evangelize those around us and True. we're starting this um, series of doing life together as a church so i think we should just continue and sharing yeah. um, tips and, on and you know building people's confidence in how they Absolutely. can evangelize and you know that's even leading into one of the things that um, we're going to be doing here at cornerstone is uh, starting a plan is starting in the month of december uh, we actually want to, on a monthly basis, just have... So I think the first one we're going to do, because our last session podcast was around marriage. And, yeah. and you had Robert with you, I had Lori with me, mm-hmm. and we talked about marriages and, and, and the problems and difficulties marriages face, and then how do you work through it. Uh, we're going to talk about marriage in December. I'm actually going to have a session just here at the church. and and But the one after that is kids, because... Uh, I think the thing that often breaks the hearts of most of the people that I, you know, my 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 colleagues, my mm-hmm. brothers and sisters in the Lord, and even in the ministry, and and this is one of the, I've gone to conferences where there's been pa- a pastors conference, so it's all pastors, and then the guest speaker says, uh, you know, they were preaching on something, and they said, you know what, we're gonna have an altar call, all of you pastors, if your heart is breaking over a son or a daughter, mm-hmm. come on up to the front, I want to pray for you. And here's the part that just breaks me is almost every single pastor and wife gets up and goes to the front. And you look and you just realize this is not <laughs> restricted to, you know, families that are blended families, right. gone through divorce. I mean, yeah. it is. And that does hit those families or families that you came late into the faith. And so your children never had opportunity to go to Sunday school, never had opportunity to go to a church. And so like you were kind of, you were late into the faith. This is hitting every single one of us. And I really notice it. And it breaks your heart where the enemy has gained ground in in so many lives. And I I can't tell you, there's been a number of pastors and leaders and great spiritual men and women who have left their post of ministry because they felt disqualified because of a wayward son, a wayward daughter. And so they just felt, well, if if I can't control this, then I'm not fit for ministry. And they pull away from helping other people, maybe when that was God calling them to step into it. And if you look through the scripture, and I was doing this, almost every great hero of the Bible had a messy family. Samuel's sons did not follow. Therefore, they could not be judges. David, I mean, his son, you know, split the throne. And you continue to go down through the sons of these great men and women in the Bible. And and you realize, well, none of them were exempt from the pain that we experience with our kids and the cool thing is, is that God has given us a lot of instruction about this mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's faithful and he will be on our side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again. And um, we look forward to the next one. All right. Thank you for listening. Next podcast, we'll be talking and giving you practical tips on how you can share your faith with those around you.